Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Bombardier First Quarter 2020 Earnings Conference Call. Please be advised that this call is being recorded. At this time, I'd like to turn the discussion over to Mr. Patrick Gauche, Vice President, Corporate Strategy and Investor Relations for Bombardier. Please go ahead, Mr. Gauche. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Bombardier's Earnings Call for the first quarter ended March 31st, 2020. I wish to remind you that during the course of this call, we may make projections or other forward-looking statements regarding future events or the future financial performance of the corporation. There are risks that actual events or results may differ materially from these statements. For additional information on forward-looking statements and underlying assumptions, please refer to the MDNA. I'm making this cautionary statement on behalf of each speaker on this call. With me today, is our new President and Chief Executive Officer, Eric Martel, and our Chief Financial Officer, John DeBert, to review our operations and financial results for the first quarter of 2020. I would now like to turn over the discussion to Eric. Thank you, Patrick, and um, good morning, everyone uh, that are joining us this morning, and thank you for, uh, for being present. Let me start this morning by, uh, first of all, recognizing that these are very unusual and challenging times for all of us, and I hope that you and your families are well and remaining safe. It is clear that we are facing a complete new reality. It is critical to embrace this new reality very quickly. We will need to change significantly how we operate, how we lead, and how we move forward. And this is exactly what we're doing. Our number one priority, of course, is the health and safety of our employees and communities. And I'd like to recognize and thank the Bombardier site leaders and team members working around the clock to ensure that we have the right procedures and safeguard in place to protect the well-being of our employees around the world. I also want to take this opportunity to thank all the essential workers on the front line fighting the COVID-19 pandemic. We truly appreciate your efforts and sacrifices. I am also proud of the Bombardier employees who are supporting these efforts. This includes our colleagues out in the field ensuring that public transportation system remain operational, as well as our employees working to provide first responders with the equipment they need. To go from making rail cars and business jets to assembling life-saving protective equipment and ventilators in just days is a testament to the skill and commitment of our people at Bombardier. While our world has changed dramatically, Bombardier remains a company defined by its strong product portfolio and by thousands of smart, passionate, and thoughtful employees who want to be part of a winning team. As most of you know, this is my first earning calls as Bombardier's president and CEO, and I am honored and excited to be back at Bombardier. There is truly nowhere I would rather be given my passion for the company and the opportunities I see to elevate our culture and performance. 
Since rejoining Bombardier, my primary focus has been on managing the business through this crisis. This includes daily leadership calls, an intense focus on managing costs and cash flows, as well as regular communication with customers and key suppliers, confirming orders and resetting delivery schedule as we deal with the current reality. I've also been getting up to speed on all aspects of the business. This includes deep dive into our major aerospace program and largest rail projects to better understand the risk, the challenge, but also the opportunities. And while the COVID-19 related travel restriction and shutdown have limited my abilities to visit our operation, I have had the opportunity to meet virtually with the top leaders across the business and to set clear priorities for both the immediate and the near-term future. So these priorities include, first, continuing to proactively manage our business through the COVID-19 crisis to ensure our company long-term sustainability. Number two, making our rail business predictable by being consistent in our performance. Number three, aligning Bombardier's aviation product production with market demand to be more profitable and a steadier cash flow generating business. Number four, driving business aviation after market growth opportunities. Number five, completing the aerospace divestiture currently underway and the sale of Bombardier transportation to address our balance sheet challenges. And finally, number six, set the foundation for long-term success by defining a clear vision for our company and resetting our culture to be more people and customer-centric, more accountable, and more focused on operational excellence. With these priorities and culture, our objectives are clear. Navigate through the crisis and make Bombardier a more profitable and predictable company with a healthier balance sheet. This is how we will redefine winning going forward. Turning now to the current situation and the actions we're taking in response to the COVID-19 pandemic, while there is still a great deal of uncertainty surrounding the duration and impact of the pandemic, we believe that we are taking the right actions to be best positioned, to best position the company to navigate the crisis. You'll recall that when the crisis began to unfold, we acted swiftly to protect the health and safety of our employees, to support government mandates to slow the spread of the virus, and to service our customer to the best of our ability. We also manage our operation to reduce costs, preserve cash, and ensure sufficient liquidity. This includes ongoing dialogue with government where we have major operation regarding additional support program should they be necessary to navigate through the extended crisis. With respect to our previously announced divestitures, we, ex we expect the CRJ sale, as confirmed by MHI, to close on June 1st. The aerostructure sale to Spirit remains on track to close in the coming months. Collectively, when completed, these transactions will improve our cash position by over a billion dollars. They will also mark the completion of Bombardier's exit from the commercial aerospace market. We also continue to make progress working with Alstom 
to complete the sale of our transportation business. Throughout the crisis, our most senior leaders and planning teams have remained in constant contact. And we currently do not expect any delays to the original timeline as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. The pandemic will, however, have a material impact on our financial performance and cash consumption. We saw a significant impact in Q1, with more to come in Q2, as a large part of our operation has been shut down for the past eight weeks and international border remained closed. For the first quarter, the cash impact is estimated to be between $600 and $800 million. This reflects our inability to deliver aircraft following the government-imposed travel restriction and border closings, production shutdowns at a number of our facilities, and lower than anticipated order intake at both transportation and aviation. John will walk you through the Q1 details in a few minutes. From an operation perspective, we are beginning the process of gradually resuming manufacturing activities at both aviation and transportation. This is a tremendous undertaking. It involves restarting operation at dozens of facilities around the world with new stringent health and safety procedures, recalling thousands of furloughed employees, restoring disrupted supply chains, and resetting delivery schedule with customer. We expect this process will occur over the remainder of the quarter, and it will likely generate some challenges along the way. Given this uncertainty, we'll continue to manage costs, defer capital expenditure, and ensure that our production rates align with the current market demand and customer ability to accept deliveries. We'll look to give you more color on our outlook as we get clearer visibility on the full impact of the pandemic. However, based on our current assessment and timeline for gradual resumption and stabilization of operation, we expect business activity to hit a low point in the second quarter with similar cash usage as Q1 before gradually recovering in the second half of the year. Let me say a few words on each of our business units here. In the first quarter, Bombardier Aviation led the industry with 26 business aircraft delivery, including six global 7500. Since the onset of the pandemic and travel restriction, sales activity has slowed down significantly most analysts predicted a 30 to 35 industry-wide reduction for 2020 deliveries with, a large, with, a, with the large cabin segment less impacted. While this feels directionally right for the short term, we think it's still too early to call the market with any, any certainty and note that we've seen limited cancellation in our backlog and remain in close contact with all our customers. Lower aircraft usage will have a negative impact on revenues associated with flight hours, including part sales. However, our service center remains busy and most maintenance activities are continuing as scheduled. As we resume operation, we're focusing on completing the aircraft currently in production and the firm order and the backlog as we watch how the market responds. For the Global 7500, where we have a solid, a solid backlog, our focus will be on achieving our learning curve goals as we ramp up production in the second half of the year. With the most time from the shutdowns, we'll deliver a few less 7,500 than originally planned. 
At transportation, the focus has been on production ramp-up in the UK, Switzerland, and Germany, which is reflected in the strong Q1 revenue growth. Progress in the first quarter also included reaching a commercial agreement with SBB, transferring title to the 32 trains in revenue service, and reflecting the significant reliability improvements that have been made. Going forward, the COVID-19-related production shutdown and supply chain disruption will delay the achievement of certain future milestones and associated cash inflows. We are currently working with our customer and our supplier to reestablish new milestone and delivery schedule, and we'll look to provide a more complete update with our Q2 earning call. We also negotiated a new $386 million equity injection from the CDPQ in BT in the quarter, providing additional flexibility as we manage through the crisis and schedule reset. From an overall market perspective, while passenger rail operator, I've seen an unprecedented drop in ridership and revenue due COVID-19, the long-term, long-term the outlook remains positive with continued growth expected in the coming years. Okay, let me stop here now and uh, end it off to John to walk you through the Q1 numbers and our liquidity position in detail. John, over to you. Thank you, Eric, and good morning, everyone. In my commentary this morning, I'll focus on three key areas. First, our liquidity status at the end of Q1 and the additional liquidity initiatives that are underway. Second, I'll provide color on Q1 financial performance across our businesses. And third, I'll provide insight on our short-term outlook and the actions we are taking as we navigate the current health crisis and its impacts on our operations. We've always managed our liquidity prudently and we have been proactive in maintaining adequate cash on hand and a long runway to debt maturities. Specifically, we entered 2020 with over $2.6 billion of cash on hand and almost $4 billion of total available liquidity. Moreover, our next debt maturity is a $450 million euro bond due one year from now in May 2021. And although the current pandemic poses additional challenges to our business, our financial strategy remains intact. To strengthen our balance sheet, notably by completing our planned divestitures and to build a bridge to a stronger and better capitalized business jet franchise. To that end, we are, making our operation, we are managing our operations with discipline and we're making the adjustments necessary to protect our balance sheet and build added flexibility. As Eric mentioned, we are making progress in our early initiatives to add cash to the balance sheet and increase our capacity to support hardworking capital during the crisis. We have completed our exit of the 8 to 20 program and received $530 million in proceeds during Q1. And we have also benefited from the additional $386 million of the CDPQ equity injection into BT. Let me provide some details on the new CDPQ investment. CDPQ invested $386 million in the first quarter, the equivalent of 350 million euro directly into transportation, equity, and generally under the same terms and conditions as the original investment. The cash provides BT with financial flexibility to manage working capital as we deal with disruptions to operations. As the business recovers, 
it should generate sufficient cash to buy back this equity ahead of the closing of the sale to Alstom. It's important to note that this injection will not affect the expected net proceeds to Bombardier from the transaction, whether it is repaid ahead or as part of the closing, so long as the minimum cash threshold is achieved on closing. In conjunction with this equity injection, we further increased our financial flexibility by amending the financial covenants under BT's credit facilities. Our banks have been very supportive in the process, providing temporary financial covenant relief. With these measures, we had total liquidity of $2.9 billion on March 31st, including $2.1 billion of cash on hand. We feel we have the liquidity and the financial support from our partners to weather this storm. And as we continue to work diligently to strengthen our balance sheet in the short term with the upcoming close of MHI's transaction set for June 1st, which will bring our pro forma liquidity to $3.5 billion. In addition, we continue to make steady progress on the spirit transaction, which will add another $500 million to cash. These deals bridge us to the transaction with Alstom, which, when completed, will significantly improve the health of our balance sheet. Turning now to Q1 results, which got off to a strong start on revenue growth before being interrupted mid-March by the COVID-19 crisis. Consolidated revenues reached $3.7 billion, 5% higher year over year, reflecting an 8% increase at aviation, which, 16, which includes 16% growth from business aircraft activities alone. This impressive growth was driven by six global 7,500 deliveries, but was offset by, de by the decreasing activities in commercial aircraft. At transportation, we experienced 5% organic growth, mainly reflecting production ramp-ups in the UK and Germany. BT's revenues were offset by some unfavorable currency impacts as the euro weakened year over year. Adjusted EBITDA totaled $171 million, and adjusted EBIT was $60 million, representing a 1.6% margin. Aviation's margin was 1.6%, below the mid-single-digit margin range we were targeting. The dilution came from an unfavorable product mix, which included global 7,500 and less legacy aircraft, as some March deliveries were delayed due to the travel restrictions. At transportation, the margin was 2.4%, generally in line with our low single-digit expectations as we execute and burn down low-margin contracts in the backlog. Our free cash flow usage was $1.6 billion for the quarter and includes a significant shortfall associated with the pandemic estimated at between $600 and $800 million. A third of this shortfall is from transportation where cash inflows tied to certain milestones were delayed, and this was caused by disruptions to our engineering and production activities, the inability to homologate trains and customers' inabilities to accept rolling stock during this period, and finally, the deferral of certain orders, which reduced cash deposits and advances. The larger share of the shortfall is associated with aviation, where more than a handful of aircraft could not be delivered for logistical reasons, despite our best efforts. Additionally, our order intake slowed as the crisis mounted, 
reducing cash advances. Finally, we paid out approximately $100 million for RVGs related to the CRJ business being divested. Post-closing of the transaction with MHI, the amount due on these RVGs will be below $300 million and will be spread much more evenly over the next three years. Looking at the outlook for the remainder of the year, given the unprecedented uncertainties related to the global macroeconomic situation and our operations, we suspended our full-year guidance and believe it is still too early to provide longer-term forecasts. For the second quarter, we expect business activity to hit a low point before gradually recovering. As Eric mentioned, we are dealing with production shutdowns that extended through April and are continuing in May. We expect a reduction of our production and deliveries and therefore revenues by almost half versus the same quarter last year. With the lower top line anticipated, and while we are highly focused on managing costs in the short term, we nonetheless expect to incur an EBIT loss for the second quarter. As we move through the rest of the year, we will look for revenue normalization and we will be fully adjusting our cost structure to return to profitability. From a free cash flow perspective, we expect usage to be significant in the quarter as we deal with lower output and order intake and suboptimal productivity. It will also be too early to see any benefit from any cash flows deferred from the first quarter. We expect, however, that as we focus on consuming existing working capital and reducing spending, we can limit cash usage in line with the first quarter. We'll also be pursuing several initiatives to improve our cash flows, including applying for various wage subsidies, as well as tax deferral and pension holiday programs enacted by government. Finally, we are managing down costs through aggressive company-wide action, limiting non-essential or discretionary spending. This includes reducing CapEx and tooling investments, mainly at BA, by a couple of hundred million dollars to approximately three to four hundred million on a consolidated basis for 2020. For the full year, we are running multiple cash flow scenarios that include lower production rates at aviation and rescheduled deliveries at transportation. We expect that our strength and liquidity, combined with the anticipated closing of the aerospace transactions, will be sufficient to absorb the volatility associated with the operating uncertainties. And as we continue to monitor the situation, we will keep the market updated on developments. With that, operator, we're ready for our first question. Thank you. If you have a question, please press star 1 on your touchstone telephone. If you are using a speakerphone, please lift your handset and then press star 1. Should you wish to cancel your question, please press the pound sign. To allocate time for all participants, please limit yourself to one question and one follow-up. Our first question is from Myers Walton from UBS. Please go ahead. Uh, good morning, everyone. This is Lou Fedawan from Miles. Good morning. Good morning, Miles. <clears throat> Um, so just can you help me understand what you are seeing from demand-wise in, in BizJet? Is it completely, you know, the owner environment, is it, is it completely stopped? And do you see that 30 35% lining up, or just can you, can you provide any additional color for us? Yeah, okay, good. Uh, fair question, uh, Miles. Uh, 
as I said uh, this morning, you know, most of the analysts right now, and I, I, I would say also our competitor, are, are talking about a 25 to 35 percent reduction on delivery for this year. And what I said earlier is that we are uh, approximately in the same zone, so within that, uh, that, that range also in terms of reducing our delivery that were uh, committed earlier this year. But at the same time, we're saying it, it is a little bit too early to assess. And we see some movement. As an example, you know, we have a very, very solid backlog in, in the, the 7500, and we don't see that part moving a lot. So the large segment is, is, is better protected, I would say, as we can see it right now when we talk to customer by customer. But when we look at the, the light segment uh, and the, uh, the uh, medium size, you know, it, it is a little bit more volatile right now. So, uh, so we are taking the time to assess this properly. And I would say our customers are pretty much saying the same thing. I need to know exactly what's going to happen with the pandemic. So is it going to last another two weeks or is it going to last another three months? So, um, you know, you've heard pretty much the same thing on the, on the recall. There's no uh, clear science on this right now. Uh, most of the economy, including ourselves, we're, we're restarting our operation because we do believe that, you know, the worst is behind and that we can do it properly. So that's how we are assessing the market today. Okay, thank you. And then just one quick follow-up. Do you see second half free cash flow being positive? Maybe I'll, uh, I'll take that one, Lou. So um, I think at this point in time, you know, we, we've, uh, we've not given full-year guidance. I do believe that uh, um, from what we see today and as we uh, kind of stabilize through uh, operations, particularly in the first half, uh, I would expect that the second half would start to uh, uh, break even or be positive on cash flow. So that's, uh, but it's, you know, it's an early signal at this point in time, but that would be my expectation. Great. Thank you. Thank you. A following question is from Kai Von Rumer from Cohen and Company. Please go ahead. Hey guys, this is Dan on for Kai. Uh, thanks for the question. Uh, good morning. Um, yeah, so I guess it's uh, I guess I'm wondering how quickly um, can you guys deliver you know BizJet aircraft once the shutdowns are lifted? I know that there might be lack of visibility into that currently, but if you have any insight on that and just um, you know how many aircraft are are currently sitting waiting to be delivered um, and related are customers kind of obligated to accept delivery of those? Does it depend um, you know based on the class of air, aircraft any any insight you could offer on that would be helpful uh, clearly in the large segment but also in the in the medium one, we had airplanes that were ready for delivery at the end of q one. But unfortunately, with the pandemic and the borders closing, you know, there was uh, difficulties. Some, some we've been able to, but some others, you know, uh, were just sitting there and customers were not even able to get them, either inspect the airplane or, or take delivery of the airplane. So, uh, so we've lost a couple of airplanes right at the end of the quarter. So clearly, as we resume our operation, you know, our focus will be to make sure that, uh, you know, we deliver those airplanes as much, as fast as possible. So that will be, uh, of course, as you, you can imagine, helpful for, uh, for our cash flow. And, of course, we are, uh, you know, assessing the market and restarting, you know, uh, with prudence, I would say, our operation. 
but we are being ready to go back to uh, to uh, you know uh, full production uh, when ready. So uh, you know our business is uh, is is uh, is a long uh, lead time and and brings some particularities. So we are able to deliver to answer your question some short-term delivery. And as we resume, uh, you know, at the new cadence uh, or, or uh, a cadence that we had before, we'll be able to uh, to start restart our delivery process. Okay, great, thanks. And then, uh, how many production facilities are are currently shut right now? How many are running or are scheduled to reopen soon? That's a good point. At some point, I think pretty much all our facilities were closed uh, at a certain point in time. Uh, but uh, we are resuming everywhere, actually, you know, since probably May 4th and even a little bit before in April, we have started gradually, you know, putting new measure in place to start. There is only one facility to know that I know, it's Crepin in France that has not been restarting, but it's planned to restart next Monday. Awesome, thanks. Thank you. Our following question is from Benoit Poirier from Desjardins Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Yes, thank you very much, and good morning, Eric. Good morning, John. Um, Eric or John, uh, could you talk a little bit about action or measure to be taken to reduce or adjust the production rate lower, and maybe talk about the magnitude of some potential charges that, that could be taken on the back of the lower production rates? Yeah, good morning, Benoit. So I would say that, uh, you know, as Eric said, we're in the current process now of uh, – of assessing what the right uh, what the right rates would be in the second half, I think that um, you know we, uh, we we've acted pretty quickly right out of the gate in terms of March in terms of managing the uh, the operations here. So uh, we've taken out quite a bit of uh, just the uh, as I mentioned all the discretionary spending, but also uh, we've been able to uh, to limit overhead spending. And as we go into the second quarter, I think that'll help us uh, mitigate the, the impacts in terms of special charges. I think it's a bit early to call now. Um, you know, the, uh, it's important that uh, we get a good deed on what uh, the, uh, the production rate will be. Um, I think there's a few important things to note here, and Eric mentioned them. One, you got a 7,500 that's sold out over several years, so we see, you know, pretty good steady uh, state there. It's a matter of really the interruption in the business and trying to get back straight up and running, and I think that'll happen as Eric described. On the rest of the, the portfolio, you do have some open orders in, in, the, uh, in the production rate. So, um, okay, so I think that overall, from a restructuring charge or any kind of, uh, of you know, special charges, we'll give you guys better color as we get through the middle of the year here. Okay, perfect. And second question, could you talk, John, maybe uh, about additional measure taken to boost liquidity and meet the upcoming debt maturities in 2021? Urban wide, it's a good question. So I think you know it's important to just take a step back here. Um, we, nobody comes in prepared for this kind of an event, that's for sure. But I think that we have been pretty prepared in terms of liquidity and and and, um, and planning with respect to our balance sheet, even with the uh, the heavy debt load. So when you think about it, just in simple terms, we came into the year with about four billion of um, of, of liquidity right out of the gate, right? So two point six of cash and over one three of uh, facilities. Um, we described in my commentary, you know, kind of a one-six burn in the first quarter, and we expect something, you know, in that neighborhood uh, in the second quarter. So just take that as kind of a, just a general three, uh, just for easy math. So from there, we um, I think we uh, 
we got off to a good start with uh, with liquidity build in Q1. You had the A220 closed cash in the bank. It's a half a billion. CDPQ, you know, just rounding that out, that's a billion between the two. So when you think about that, we've already put a billion dollars of new liquidity onto that four, even though we have some significant COVID-related burn here. And then from here, uh, we announced uh, overnight this morning that uh, we're uh, set on track now for June 1st on MHI. That's a half a billion. And then a half billion to come from, uh, from Spirit. So by and large, you know, we're $2 billion uh, into this thing here as we complete the transactions that uh, we're, we're working on. And I would say, you know, the second half, as I mentioned just previously on my comments, we're going to be looking to trying to, you know, stem this and bring uh, cash generation back over the last six months. Uh, so I think with this, you know, we're putting yourself in a place here where we have a good bridge to the Altum transaction. It's hard to call when that closes, but certainly same as we always expected, first half of, uh, of 21, and that's uh, continuing to progress very nicely. So long and short of it is, I think we've got a runway to deal with uh, liquidity. Uh, of course, you know we're looking at things as are today. Okay, perfect. And maybe just a quick one on uh, transportation. Have you experienced any cancellation or deferrals at BT given the drop in the public uh, transit demand, or is there a desire from customers to increase rail spending uh, to uh, as a government stimulus? No, um, so far we haven't, uh, uh, Benoit. Uh, and we uh, we feel right now that of course the ridership being extremely low right now. You saw some of our major customers this week announcing some uh, some major loss. But clearly, you know the uh, the transportation business is a business that you know people will still need. And we feel that everywhere right now we have clear sign that uh, the government are stepping in uh, to uh, to support uh, our customer. Thank you very much for the time. Thank you. Thank you. A following question is from Yoma Abribe from JP Morgan. Please go ahead. Uh, th thank you. Um, I guess the first question is on, on, on the free cash flow. Um, John, as, as you look at uh, you know, the second quarter free cash flow being similar to, uh, to the first quarter and second half you know, break-even or, or positive, um, which, which business is, is more negative in terms of uh, free cash flow usage in the upcoming quarter and then in the second half? So I'd say that, um, you know, the, uh, when you look at the first quarter, it was a pretty abrupt uh, impact, right? I mean, you came out of this thing in March, and, um, you know, we were building up a lot of inventory across the board. Typically, you would do that in the first quarter anyway as you build off the year. And, um, and we, uh, as Eric mentioned, we got caught with, uh, with uh, a lot of aircraft that uh, logistically we couldn't deliver and, you know, a few also that uh, were in the process of sales that just got kind of distracted and interrupted, so they stayed behind. So I'd say that, um, uh, you know, uh, at BA, it's really a jet uh, delivery related and uh, coming out of that, uh, that last couple of weeks. Um, at BT, I'd say that, um, you know, we had... Uh, a lot of milestones that in the first quarter uh, were closing up. We were building up a lot of uh, inventory as we have a big ramp in the second half, on, uh, on especially in UK uh, and Germany and France. And so uh, we uh, we're now you know trying to stem the uh, the inventories. Especially we took decisions in March to uh, to slow down the supply chains on both sides of the uh, of the businesses. So when you look at you know the second half, I would say that uh, you'll see a benefit at BT. From uh, from resetting 
the uh, the supply chains and kind of balancing out the production rate, which was uh, you know destined for for big ramp and big deliveries in the second half. So I think that that'll get the bigger benefit on BA. I expect a similar quarter as Q1. So a little bit of improvement at BT and Q2, a similar quarter in uh, in um, in BA uh, as uh, as we had in Q1 for the second quarter, uh, because we're going to have uh, quite a bit less uh, delivery in, uh, of jets. Uh, thank you. And then I guess you know the, the follow-up uh, um, you know, question would be around sort of the, the, the cost reduction efforts that you're, you're putting in place. Um, you know, I think as we look at sort of the second quarter, I think you talked about you know, seeing some of the benefits um, in terms of uh, you know right-sizing the, the cost uh, you know for for, for, for demand. Um, how should we be thinking about sort of uh, you know the the, you know, the the second quarter and into the second half? Um, maybe you can give us a little bit more color in terms of you know what the benefits um, are going to look like. As, as we move on uh, the next couple quarters here? Well, like I said, I mean, we're, we're in the middle of, of planning and uh, completing those kind of production adjustments, but we've made decisions on CapEx. I think that's something you can think about uh, being uh, pretty much now uh, you know, signed and sealed. We'll get a couple hundred million dollars of, uh, of uh, savings in terms of just not needing the same kind of capacity rates and uh, you know, some other discretionary capable spend that we, um, we would have had this year. So that's kind of uh, pushed out now, and uh, we'll re, uh, revisit that at uh, you know a future date uh, for 2020. That's pretty much locked in. I'd say that the next piece of this is going to be um, what kind of rate we set at uh, BA, and then uh, we'll make the right adjustments on uh, variable costs and uh, production rates. I mean, it's as simple as that. So it'll be really about sizing the uh, the output capability of the business, and um, and making sure that uh, we're building the right amount of jets for the market demand. Um, I think we have, you know, some of that in, in the backlog, which is nice, and the rest of it we'll have to adjust to the market. So um, I wouldn't say that uh, there's more commentary on that. We, we've got discretionary spend, you know, pretty locked down. Uh, my expectation here is that the second half, under the circumstances I see today, uh, should be able to go back to generating some amount of cash. Um, but it's really going to be about what kind of a rate we put out there. And BT is different. It's a $33 billion backlog. BT, it's really all about just getting the supply chain and getting the, uh, the operations up and running again uh, productively. Uh, then we got a $33 billion backlog that we, uh, we chew into. So it's about working with the customers and making sure that we can reset uh, contracts and schedules uh, with them as to how they can take Thank you very much. That's all I had. Thank you. Thank you. The following question is from Doug Carson from Bank of America. Please go ahead. Great. Good morning, guys. Good morning, oh, Doug. Thanks uh, for the detail. Um, I have a question around the CDPQ. Uh, if you could shed any light of like how discussions went, and I know you can't speak for them, but uh, what were some of their decision points to invest more equity in in, uh, in the train business, and, and can one extrapolate that that could kind of point to a more likely closing of the ultimate train sale? Is that kind of reaching too far? I think Von Hull is reacting positively to that equity investment. I want to see if we can learn a little bit more about it. Hey, Doug. Good, good morning. So, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, first of all, as you said, I can't speak for, for the case, but uh, uh, they're a partner. They've been a partner since day one on, uh, in our train uh, transportation franchise, and uh, honestly, it's been a very good partnership, and uh, we've uh, been able successfully to bring uh, the, the transaction with Alstom to bear as well. So you can see that there's been a lot of collaboration from the get-go. Um, 
I think that uh, they just uh, they're, uh, they're they're a significant minority interest shareholder. They want to see the business be uh, successful. Uh, we wanted to create flexibility at BT. We knew we were coming into something uh, challenging here. We didn't want to kind of uh, shortchange the uh, the the management of the liquidity that uh, we wanted to make sure the business had. Uh, we engaged in the conversations with the uh, CDPQ, and uh, they've uh, they've uh, looked favorably upon uh, making an additional injection. Reading into the Alstom transaction, I think that you know, notwithstanding what they may or may not be thinking at CDPQ, I, I think that it's fair to say that uh, we continue to make good progress. We have a very strong cadence of, uh, of reviews uh, on the transaction, and um, you know, we uh, we still are very excited. We think that it brings uh, value to the market, and uh, I think I can't speak for Alstom either, but uh, I would believe that uh, they continue to be equally engaged in uh, in their uh, view of a very positive outcome of this. Are there any covenants in that equity investment? You know, if the transaction doesn't go through, the money goes back to them. Or I haven't really read all the details of that yet this morning. If there are any out there, but are there any limitations to that equity investment? No, I would keep it simple to say that it really it it, um, it has the same terms that uh, we had in the original uh, uh, investment. Uh, it um, it increases their uh, ownership. And uh, with that increased ownership, uh, whether we make the sale or not, I mean, they are a larger uh, equity holder of, uh, of BT. Okay. If I, if I could just ask one more question. Um, as I mod out the cash flow, I wasn't expecting a $1.6 billion burn, but I, I guess it's understandable given this crisis is like unprecedented. Um, and am I right in thinking that 2Q could be at a similar level um, of another 1.6, and then I think you talked about like a, a progression to a, a break-even or a positive cash flow in, in the second half. But it seems to burn. It seems like a lot of cash burn in the first half to get to a break-even or positive in the second half. So I'm concerned about like 3Q and 4Q. I know you, you can't give guidance on that, but how would you expect to go from such a huge cash negative to a, a break-even or cash positive in the second half? Yeah, so I think, Doug, the first thing is that, you know, good or bad, it's our seasonal pattern is that uh, we tend to right. burn quite a bit of cash in Q1, and we tend to have a very strong Q4. And so uh, we're working through, obviously, the, 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 you know, all the, uh, the operational logistics of making sure we, we sustain the kind of uh, the ability to, to move a lot of product out through the, uh, the fourth quarter. I speak to you now viewing the world as it is today, right? I mean, so as things progress, right. we'll know more. Um, and there's a level of, of, of unknown that's out there. So, but from from our view of uh, of the business now, uh, Q1, you know, it's it's typically in in, in absolute terms, you know, a pretty uh, deep burn quarter. Anyway, uh, we talk six eight hundred million dollars here COVID related. In fact, I think you know probably Q2 has more COVID related burn than Q1 uh, in it. Um, and that, as, as I said and you mentioned, uh, gets us kind of a similar uh, cash burn in absolute for Q1 and Q2, but more of uh, Q2 will be uh, COVID-related. It's going to be about being down in operations here, you know, kind of like almost two months and low productivity and then getting back up and running and managing supply chains and outputs at the same time with customers. So I think that, that we're trying to be prudent and at the same time, you know, realistic and making sure we're in front of the stuff uh, where we can be. In, uh, in Q3, you know, we're assuming now some level of normalcy, I think. You know, and that's all I can say. It doesn't mean it's business as usual. It just means that we're in a more normal environment. 
And with that, I think you get to pivot into Q4 and make sure you uh, you move out a lot of the product uh, that we have, and um, and we'll keep you guys posted. But at this point in time, you know, we're, we're also being very, very, uh, I think, um, uh, strong on working capital management and how we set those uh, rates is going to be uh, responsible. Uh, so that's, you know, that's the kind of color I can give you, you know, CapEx, like I said, early decisions. So all those things will benefit us in the second half as we, uh, you know, adjusting the, the size of our operation as well. So those are second half benefits. I think they're, they're, they're there. It takes a little bit of time to get everything in place. Thanks, Doug. No, that's, that's very helpful. Uh it's a very helpful caller, and I guess last what I'll sneak in, and I promise oh, that'll be it. A lot of big companies are you're hitting the market with uh, liquidity measures, uh, whether you have Boeing or Ford alike, um, kind of just downside protection. Have you guys anticipated potential any kind of like a safety net liquidity that you may try to raise in the you know, in the event that Alstom doesn't come through? Are you guys kind of thinking about that at all? Yeah, uh, no, absolutely, and and I, I would say that we've uh, we've already engaged discussion. You know, in case we uh, we may have some need with the different government, uh, you know, that we are working with. Uh, I would say across the world because we have, a, as you know, a, a vast operation. So clearly, uh, uh, some are, some uh, some discussion have already taken place to make sure that if ever we have a need. Uh, you know, a, and I will call it a temporary need because that's what right. we're, we're talking about here to get through. Uh, then, of course, those discussions will uh, will uh, will be advancing more. Great. All right. Thanks, guys, for taking three of my questions. Thank you. A following question is from Konark Gupta from Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Mr. Gupta, your line is open. You may proceed with your question. Hi, sorry, can you hear me? Yes. Yes, yes. good morning, Conrad. Thank you. Good morning, and uh, welcome, Eric. Good morning. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, so uh, first I wanted to ask you on um, the guidance uh, or kind of indication you provided for uh, aircraft deliveries down 30 to 35% in the full year. I um, just want to clarify, you had a lot of obviously CRJs last year, and you will have uh, very few this year. So that 30 to 35%, should I assume that includes CRJs in both years or just business jets? Just business jets. It was uh, just business jets. Yeah. yeah. On this one, I think on the CRJ, we're just managing out the uh, the remainder of the uh, of the skyline and, uh, and delivering the backlog. But, uh, that you know, and then with the uh, the, the uh, MHI uh, transaction closing June first, now it kind of won't be a factor in the uh, in the count. Okay, that makes sense. Thanks. And then uh, secondly, on the cash, John. So uh, thanks for providing a good color on on quarterly cadence and stuff. Um, I mean, you obviously have some covenants and some restrictions on the cash. So if you can help us understand what is uh, in the new kind of uh, structure, what is the minimum cash position at any time you require, and then any goalposts you have set for cash position at the end of 2020. Uh, so just all, I missed the last part of that question. Can you just repeat, Connor? Just yeah, it's, a go it's a, any goalposts for cash position at the end of 2020. I know you have 2.1 at the end of March, 20, March 31st, um, but yeah. what do you expect cash at the end of this year? Okay. Um, okay, so um, I think that the first thing is that um, it's important to note that there are no minimum liquidity uh, cash requirements. Uh, we did have at one point a covenant uh, under the CDPQ arrangement but that had uh, expired with the fourth anniversary year, I believe, so it would have been Feb of this year. So there is no uh, requirement on a minimum cash basis for uh, the company. 
on the covenants, maybe just a bit of color there. I think that um, you know the um, the only covenants we have are at uh, BT, and uh, they support the uh, the revolver and uh, and some letters of credit that uh, we issue on performance and so on. And so the good news is that uh, you know we have a very supportive uh, syndicate of banks. Uh, we've been working very closely with uh, them, uh, particularly over this period of uncertainty. And um, you know, in the first quarter, we were able to make some uh, some adjustments. I think it's important that we came out of the gate. I mean, this hit everybody with uh, with you know pretty hard, and uh, uh, we wanted to just make sure that we had the right flexibility. So uh, we've we've taken care of that. I'd say for the uh, first couple of quarters of the year. What's um, you know what's important now is that they also have an BT you know, a pretty good credit. So it's uh, it's important to know that that they're kind of uh, their um, you know their uh, their balance sheet and uh, and their uh, lending arrangement is uh, is under a pretty good credit uh, backdrop. So long and short of it is that um, we you know support with also CDPQ here uh, uh, their uh, their financial um, uh, covenants. The um, the access to the revolver is full. Uh, it's not uh, it's not uh, impacted during the interquarters. We can borrow all the way down to the 1.3. At the end of the quarter, we do have to uh, make sure we make those covenants. The injection by CDPQ was helpful in that regard. And, of course, the, the flexibility the banks are giving us uh, relative to the situation is as well. So going forward, i got to stay close to that. But at the end of the day, I, I do believe that uh, we will have that uh, well managed. So I, it's not the biggest first uh, piece of concern, but it's one that we're working on. On the full year, I do hesitate, to be honest, to give out um, too many goalposts or expectations. I did a little bit of math uh, for you. Uh, if you just uh, take that maybe and you know, kind of uh, conclude it on yourself uh, in terms of just overall liquidity, we started the year with about four. Um, we talked here about the first half being, you know, call it three for just math's sake down. We're adding two from all the activities that we're, uh, we're pursuing uh, between the equity investments uh, at CDPQ, the uh, sale of A220, uh, MHI and Spirit in combination, all of those. And then uh, the second half, uh, we expect that uh, you know probably we uh, we turn the corner and start to have some uh, generation. I won't comment on the size, you know, break even or positive. And so if you do a bit of math there, you get a number that you know kind of says that uh, we we close the year here with uh, probably something in the neighborhood of you know you know maybe a billion and a half plus minus. We'll see. Okay, um, that's it for me. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. A following question is from Walter Spracklin from RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. This is uh, Ryle Stroud calling in for Walter Sprout at RBC. Thanks for taking my questions. Just wanted to, to quickly just just wanted to, to quickly touch on uh, on covenants again. So you mentioned you, re you received some relief there, uh, and it, but indicated that it was temporary. Um, I'm just curious, how how long is the relief in place for, and where are you in terms of your, your, your covenants right now? Well, we're in full compliance. Uh, and so, uh, you know, that's, uh, I mean, no, uh, and it, when I say temporary, it just means that, you know, the, uh, the metrics have been adjusted uh, for the early part of, uh, of the year here, so into the first half. And then that um, we'll be uh, monitoring the situation. And in fairness to the banks, I mean, we want to have an ongoing dialogue. So this is just a question of saying we'll give you guys an update and then, at that point in time, we'll um, you know be working with them to uh, to look for uh, for what's appropriate in the second half. Again, you know I don't want to get uh, too far ahead here, but um, we also have the flexibility here at, at uh, corporate 
to uh, to make injections as necessary. So we do always uh, stay in uh, in good control of our situation on the covenants. Uh, and like I said, only at BC. Great, great. That's that's helpful. And I guess just one more for me. You know, looking maybe looking beyond COVID, what what types of aircraft do you envision garnering the most significant customer demand? You know, post post the pandemic, and and do you see there being a, a potential for an acceleration in in demand for certain aircraft models? Um, you know, actually, uh, it's interesting. You know, so of course there is still discussion. I would say as we speak, uh, you know, going on with our customers. So. Uh, so our, our, our typical customer right now, uh, you know, may, may, may have some time available. So they're calling us and getting informed on, on what's going on and what airplane could be available. So, um, and, you know, we haven't seen a major, uh, actually, we haven't seen much cancellation, uh, which is a great news. I think everybody is in assessing right now, our customers are doing the same thing. What will be the uh, outcome of this pandemic? When will be the outcome of that, this pandemic? So clearly, uh, it, it is moving at a slow pace. There's no, there's no decision being, uh, being made. And, uh, and uh, uh, hopefully, you know, and that's what we're, uh, we're, we're, we're starting to see, is that we think that, uh, you know, when we have more visibility on the pandemic, that the activity level will be, uh, will be restarting. So... Uh, so far, there's a, there's a little activity. It's more information, but uh, you know those customers are approaching us right now to understand, you know, what could be possible when delivery, what airplane could be available. So, uh, so that's positive, and uh, hopefully, when everybody has more uh, a solid ground on, in understanding the uh, the uh, the real impact, uh, we foresee that the activity level will uh, will start to pick up again. That's great. Thanks a lot. Uh, that's it for me. I'll pass the line. Thank you. Thank you. Our following question is from Brian Lally from Barclays. Please go ahead. Hey, guys. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Um, morning. Um, John, maybe just a, a couple questions following up on some of the, the previous. Um, first, I believe you mentioned in your prepared remarks that the sale of the additional equity to CDPQ wouldn't change the net proceeds back to, to you guys. Could you maybe walk us through that in a bit more detail, how that mechanism works? And I guess a bit of a follow-on to that, would those proceeds to you move if you had a significant revolver draw at transportation at closing? You know, I get the sense that there's still some, you know, market confusion, if you will, around how that $1 billion transportation cash relates to the $8.2 billion enterprise value. So any help? Uh, on that would be great, and then I have uh, one follow-up. Thanks, sir. Sure. Well, let me try to uh, keep it simple here and, and see if, if this does the trick, but uh, you can ask a follow-on if it doesn't. I think that at the end of the day, uh, there's a minimum cash requirement uh, at the end of the year when uh, deal closing um, for BT, so it struck at uh, December 31st, 2020. And uh, essentially, it's uh, uh, ensuring that we have uh, positive uh, cash on the book there. So um, what it means is that to the extent that we uh, generate uh, cash from uh, the business sufficient to have uh, positive cash on hand at the end of the year, then the injection of uh, CDPQ, either one, is paid out from that cash on hand and maintains that positive balance. So sufficient cash there, including the equity injection that you restore it. Or two, the cash stays there 
but it is uh, added to the uh, the total sales proceeds uh, received because it's new cash into the business. So I think that that's the way to think about it, right? When we go back to uh, the announcement of the transaction, I think we signaled uh, up to about a billion dollars of uh, of cash on the uh, the balance sheet that uh, at BT that would go with BT. So maybe if I can simplify it again, you know, just kind of keeping it simple, to the extent that uh, you don't have a burn of more than a billion incremental to that uh, view, you would protect the proceeds at uh, BT. Does that make sense? Got it. Okay. Yeah, I guess, I mean, it is, I mean, again, maybe I'm alone in this, but it is a little confusing relative to the total enterprise value, but I'm, I'm happy to, to follow up a bit offline if, uh, if that's okay. Um, Absolutely. And then maybe my second one, just, just you know, more broadly, and, and I touched on this a couple times, but and appreciate all the proactive work on the liquidity front, but you know, still with so much uncertainty. Could you, you know, to a question earlier, could you expand uh, on maybe what pools of liquidity from you know government support specifically that you might be able to to access? And I don't believe that you have you know kind of a typical secured debt access given the negative pledge in your indentures, I guess is one, is that correct? And does that change how you think about future issuance and, and how, you know, potential pools of liquidity could develop if you did in fact need them, if this progresses longer, the weakness lasts longer, uh, et cetera? So um, you're correct in what you say. It, it's also true, though, just as a matter of fact, that we, uh, we can uh, use uh, a working capital, essentially inventory, as a, as a form of security. So that is an option that we do have um, with respect to, uh, to our uh, ability to, uh, to generate any additional debt. So we could look at uh, uh, securing any kind of temporary support if we needed it with some kind of a working capital facility. And, and just think about the nature of what we're going through here, right? And it's just be very pragmatic about it, is that we're going through a kind of a, a system shock and that system shock is, uh, is causing us to build up working capital. So if there was an area where we wanted to get some, uh, some, some you know, additional uh, flexibility, we would do so, could do so through um, uh, the working capital that we have and making sure we got some financing against that. Um, I think in terms of government support and so on, I don't want to speculate uh, here on you know, any specifics, but the reality is that I think that uh, uh, all of the uh, major jurisdictions where we operate want to see uh, our business go back to some form of normal. Uh, we are a big employer in many of the regions that we operate. We have you know, great businesses that make products that uh, make a difference in all those communities, particularly on the train side. Um, the aircraft business is a very important uh, industry for Canada and Quebec as well. So those are just important uh, parts of the, the sector and we're an important part of just getting you know, the, the general economy started. So. I think to the extent that it was important for us to, uh, to have some support, uh, we would have open lines of communication and dialogue. And I think that people have been, uh, you know, getting educated on uh, just, you know, how we're managing through this and making sure that uh, they know uh, where we are. And at the same time, uh, we're being responsible all on our own. And at the same time, I think, you know, all of that will play itself out here over the next few months based on uh, what's the right thing to do. But that's some of the optionality we have. Thanks, uh, thanks, Brian. We'll uh, operator. We'll take our last question before some uh, concluding uh, remarks. Certainly. Our last question is from David Strauss from Barclays. Please go ahead. Hi guys, this is Kate Papelson for David. 
Um, thanks for taking the question. I, w I wanted to ask Eric. I know that he was at um, at aircraft during the prior aircraft downturn. Um, so now that you're back, Eric, um, just kind of what what do you see is different about the business this time? How do you see kind of decremental margins being different? Um, and then just a, just another related question: Do you think um, global 7500 volumes are are those still targeted at kind of the prior? ultimate 35 to 40 annually, or could that be less? Thank you. Thanks, Katie. That's a, that's a good question. Um, actually, there's clearly some similarities between this, uh, to use your expression, this shock right now that, uh, that is happening, uh, to use John's expression. Um, the, uh, I'm, I'm going back forward, and I'm, I'm, I remember the, uh, when the uh, price of oil you know, dropped in uh, December 14 by about half. Uh, you know, we had a major uh, reaction, you know, from our customer base. And what was interesting at the time is that, you know, we saw this, uh, we saw a major cancellation right away. I would say what is different today is that, as I mentioned earlier, we haven't seen that rush of cancellation, you know, despite the shock that is evident. But in 2014, we did. Um, the, um, also, uh, we have limited, uh, you know, exposure today. Uh, on, on the light jet versus either 2008 or, or uh, even 2014. But, um, you know, we always felt going through those crises that uh, the uh, large segment market was much more robust. And today, as you know, we are much more dependent on that segment, So, which uh, makes me believe that, uh, you know, our backlog will, will remain, uh, you know, much more solid. I'm not saying there will be no cancellation. I'm sure there will be but I think it will be minimal compared to what we may have seen uh, as an example in 2018. That market, uh, by the way, never really completely recovered since then uh, on the light market. But we feel that our large market segment is very robust. As John said earlier, the backlog, uh, our backlog is, is extremely solid, especially on the 7500. And we are just coming out also with a brand new product, the 6500, uh, which is also a, an amazing product out there. So I would answer your question. Yeah, yeah, and then can, could you just comment on global 7500 volumes? Are, are you guys, do you guys think that you could still get to the 35 to 40, or I guess you're kind of making decisions now for kind of how much capacity and how much kind of what your cost base is going to be? So are you guys considering a lower rate than previously targeted? On the 7500 today, because the backlog is strong, we do anticipate the same rate moving forward. Okay. Of course, we're going to be Great. losing Thanks, a couple guys. of planes probably this year because of uh, the, the weeks we haven't produced, but uh, then we should go back to, uh, to normal. So, um, you know, I would like to uh, just say a few words and thank, uh, first of all, to thank you uh, for joining us this morning. I, I do appreciate your question, but also interest uh, to, in Bombardier. I'm also looking forward to spending uh, more time with you as, uh, as soon as travel uh, restriction will allow. Uh, I'm interested in hearing your concerns, uh, also share more on, on my vision and also my priorities uh, for Bombardier. I think that uh, you will find that I am a strong believer in open two-way communication with all stakeholders. Uh, while the uh, current environment is, is uh, extremely challenging right now, I am optimistic about our future and also excited, about, uh, excited to be leading a company with such uh, a strong product portfolio, but also so many great people. Uh, I am looking forward to working with this team uh, to advance uh, the priorities I outlined at the beginning of the call. Of course, um, 
I recognize one thing is that our action, not our words, will uh, dictate your views and confidence in our future. I have given to the clear message inside the company uh, that we have not met expectation and must become much more predictable. Going forward, we will fully uh, be fully transparent and set clear priorities. Among, the, among them, uh, of course, restoring our reputation and culture around operational excellence. And finally, and most importantly in closing, I hope that you and your families remain safe and healthy in the days ahead. So thank you and thanks for uh, participating this morning. Thank you. The conference has now ended. Please disconnect your lines at this time and we thank you for your participation. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.